Hello and welcome to the Free Gift Podcast, originating from the Free Gift Gospel Mission. The Free Gift Gospel Mission is an independent Bible-believing church preaching Jesus Christ as man's only provision for redemption and salvation. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, on the corner of Maple and Brook. This podcast is a Christ-centered ministry reaching out to souls with the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Last Wednesday, we did a Bible study on joy in the Gospels, and we looked at all 23 verses where the word joy is mentioned in Matthew, Luke, and John. No mention of it in Mark, of course, using the King James Bible, and I made brief comments on those verses. And tonight, I just want to continue uh, this focus on joy. This is not something we plan to do. Uh, but I enjoyed it so much last Wednesday night, I just really felt inclined to continue uh, right on into the epistles of Paul. So that's where we'll be tonight. And there's 24 verses in Paul's letters that mention the word joy if we count Hebrews. Now, I don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews or not. I know a lot of people believe that he, he wrote Hebrews. Some people believe it was Barnabas and there's several other... Um, people that sometimes different folks will attribute Hebrews to, but we're going to go ahead and include Hebrews uh, in this study, but we're not going to get that far tonight. Uh, we're going to get half about, uh, about half of these verses tonight. So we're doing this because I believe that we need to be reminded often of joy. Amen? And I was reminded of this today when I looked at my front yard and I realized what's getting ready to happen. How many of you know what's getting ready to happen? It's just about mowing time. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny to say that in early February. But I actually had a neighbor that mowed today. So when we consider that, hey, it's just about mowing time, we definitely could use some joy, right? <laughs> Amen. We need joy. I think we need some joy, and we all ought to know where joy is found. It's found in the Bible. Most of all, we're doing this because this is God's Word. He commands us to study His Word. He commands us to teach and to preach His Word. And He is glorified in the study of His Word. He's glorified in the teaching and the preaching of His Word. So last week we gave some definitions of joy. Joy is... The passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. That excitement of pleasurable feelings which is caused by success, good fortune. The gratification of desire or some good possessed or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire. Gladness, exaltation, exhilaration of spirits. Joy is delight of the mind from the consideration of the present of assured approaching possession of good. That's some definitions of joy. And again, I want to stress that this is exactly why, according to the Bible, that you and I as Christians can have joy 
even in the times of troubles and trials. We can still have joy. So let's begin by looking at these verses in the epistles of Paul that make reference to joy. Are you ready? Amen. We ready? Yes. All right. The first one is Romans chapter 5 and verse number 11. Romans chapter 5, verse number 11. And here's what the Word of God says. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Here Paul is writing about rejoicing in the atonement. There's been an exchange. Christ took our filthy sins and gave us His righteousness. And when we come to recognize that even though we had no claim to God whatsoever, Christ came to die for us while we were yet sinners. That will fill your heart with joy. That's when we can uh, rejoice, not in our privileges, but we rejoice in His mercy and we rejoice in His Grace. So this verse serves to show us that the major mark of a saved child of God is joy. I'm talking about joy in God Himself. God's people should be the most joyful people upon the face of planet earth. We should be the most positive people in the world. We should be the most loving people in the world. We should be the most giving people in the world because our lives are rooted in not in the world, but in Jesus Christ, and we live a life of God-centered worship because as believers, as Christians, we are characterized by joy. The next one's in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 17. And last week, I had a typo up here. If anybody finds one tonight, just go ahead and stop me, and I'll, I'll fix that immediately. So, uh, just kind of conversational tonight. Okay, uh, Romans 14 and verse number 17. Here's what it says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I like that, don't you? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the word translated joy is the Greek word kara. And it means cheerfulness. It means calm delight or gladness. And uh, there are some different words that are translated as joy in the King James Bible. And we'll try to address those as they come up. And of course, we hit on this last week a little bit. If you find the word joy and it's used as a verb, of course, that's going to be a different Greek word. Uh, but here we're dealing with the Greek word kara. And Romans 14.7 comes to us in, in the context of a dilemma about food and whether certain things are clean or unclean. So Paul is teaching that if a stronger Christian is in the presence of a weaker Christian, and they're having a meal together, that stronger Christian is to defer to the conscience of the weaker Christian, even though that stronger Christian knows that the food is not unclean. Maybe that weaker Christian hasn't come to a proper understanding of that yet, and if that weaker Christian considers it to be unclean, and he or she disapproves, if you, this is what Paul's saying here, if you as a stronger Christian try to get the weaker Christian to follow your path, 
against his or her conscience, then you're not acting in love at that point because love will never disregard a weaker conscience. Love will limit its own liberty for the sake of a weaker brother or sister. So in this context, Paul makes the statement, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is the gracious rule of God through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit in the lives of God's people bringing salvation and calling for obedience. So basically Paul's saying if you're a strong Christian and you use your liberty to eat whatever it is you want at the expense or welfare of the weak, then you are overestimating, overestimating the importance of food and drink. You're overestimating that and you're underestimating the importance of the kingdom of God. And the righteousness and the peace and the joy inspired by the Holy Spirit here are objective states. We're talking about a joy that causes us to rejoice in God's glory and the Holy Spirit Himself is the earnest or the pledge or the foretaste of all of that. So I'm going to take all of that that I just said and try to sum that up as succinctly as possible for 2021. Okay? Here's, here's a little summary of everything that I just said on Romans 14 and 17. If you know that the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, then you'll know that matters such as food and drink are only secondary. Amen? You'll know that those matters are only secondary and you will seek the kingdom of God first because seeking the kingdom of God is primary. It's not secondary. Seeking the kingdom of God is primary. It's of primary importance. The next one's in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13. Romans 15 and 13. And if anybody has a thought or a comment that you'd like to share throughout this, you, you're more than welcome to, to interrupt or to stop me. I'll, I'll be more than glad to, to stop and and listen to your comment, and uh, we'll have an opportunity at the end of this for some takeaways, just like we did last Wednesday night. But Romans 15 and 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This is Paul's prayer. Paul's making a prayer request here. He's appealing to the God of hope. He's praying for joy. He's praying for peace, and he's praying that they might abound in hope. So the joy that Paul is praying for, it's not a worldly joy. It's not just any kind of joy. It's not the joy like John Gill described. John Gill said it's not a joy such as the joy of the hypocrites who rejoice in sin, and they rejoice in their own boastings. That's not true joy. The joy that Paul is praying for is a spiritual joy. It's the true joy that comes as a result of knowing God as the Heavenly Father. It comes as a result of knowing Jesus Christ in His righteousness and salvation and the Holy Spirit whose fruit it is. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. This is the kind of true joy that you can have amid afflictions 
amid troubles and amid trials in this world, you can still have this joy. So Paul is praying. He's making this prayer request. He's praying for them to be filled with joy. And that would indicate that they were not already full of joy. You know, sometimes we allow things to come into our life and interrupt our joy, don't we? Sometimes we do. Sometimes it could be our corrupt nature. Sometimes we'll just flat fall into sin. But even our joy can be increased once we come to a renewed understanding of God's love. And the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to a greater interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could climb up out of a pit and be filled with joy when you know the Lord. Amen. Amen. You could climb up out of a pit and be filled with joy. I think that's wonderful. Your joy and peace can grow by faith. That's why he says, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's faith. Faith is the means of joy. Paul prays that his readers will have it all. Faith and peace and joy. All right, let's go to Romans uh, 15, verse number 30. There's a reference to joy in verse number 32. But I want to start with verse number 30. To get a wider context here. So we're reading Romans 15 uh, verses 30 through 33. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So now Paul is requesting prayer for his visit to Rome, but first he's requesting prayer for his visit to Jerusalem. His plan to visit Rome is not even going to be possible unless his visit to Jerusalem is first a success. So he's asking the Romans to pray that he'll be accepted in Jerusalem. He's asking the Romans to pray that he'll be protected in Jerusalem. Not only because those things are important in and of themselves, but because when he comes to Rome... He wants to come by the will of God and he wants to be refreshed. And he wants to come unto them with joy. Amen. Whatever happens in Jerusalem, Paul wants to make sure he comes to the Romans with some joy. And I can certainly understand that. I can understand that. When I come to church, I don't want to come in here and be a drag to everyone. I don't want to come in here and be a downer to everyone. I don't want to come in here and get everyone all depressed and moan and groan and agonize about the things that I've been through. I don't want to come in here and get you all discouraged. I want to come in here with some joy and be a blessing to people. I want to come with some joy in my heart so that I might be an encouragement to someone who's been downtrodden and, and down and out and just beat down by the storms of life. And I think it's a good idea that we always pray this same prayer for each other that Paul was requesting prayer for here. It's a good thing to pray for. 
And Paul obviously believed that to be true. Second uh, Corinthians. We're going to Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter one. Okay, it's supposed to be twenty-four. I'll make that correction. I appreciate you pointing that out to me. Well, let me go ahead and, and back up to verse number 23. So I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. And here it says, Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So, here Paul is saying that he did not return to Corinth in order to spare the Corinthians. He doesn't exactly say what it is he's hoping to spare them from, but we can infer from the upcoming verses that he had some harsh rebukes for the Corinthians. Paul believed in correction. Paul believed that teaching and correction were necessary And he believed that they were true, but it also had to be timely. It also had to be appropriate. It had to be in the appropriate timing. So in these verses, we see a Paul who simply believes that the Corinthians, they've gotten to the place where Paul's thinking, you know what, they've had enough rebukes from me for the time being. They've had enough of that. The timing is not appropriate for any more rebukes right now. And you know, I've been to churches where all they want to do is rebuke. All they want to do is just hammer down all the time and, and uh, just rebuke, 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 rebuke. And that's not much of, of, a, of an environment to try to walk out your Christian life in. I mean, rebuke is necessary, correction is necessary, but sometimes we need some building up. Right? Some pastors today would like to take more authority than the Apostle Paul. But we see here that even when Paul had to correct the Corinthians, he didn't lord it over their faith. But rather he tried to work with them. And he labored for their joy. He wanted them to have joy. And he knew that the only way that they could stand strong and have this joy was through their faith. Our comfort and joy flow from our faith. And I believe it's best when pastors can approach the flock with this in mind. There's always going to be the need for teaching and correction, but it needs to be at the appropriate time and in an appropriate fashion. And it's then that we will be able to walk in the joy that flows from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and read the uh, next three verses, starting with chapter 2. Um, because the next mention of joy is in verse number 3. But I want to begin in verse number 1. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he that then maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So Paul was the master 
of anticipating questions and objections. So the, the anticipated question of his readers here would be this. Paul, if you needed us to be an encouragement to you, if you needed encouragement from us so much, then why did you write so many of those harsh rebukes in your letter? Well, he goes ahead and he answers, answers that anticipated objection. He's, he's basically telling them, I wrote to deal with those problems from afar in order that nobody would be distressed at my arrival in Corinth. He wanted to get those problems addressed and taken care of so that when he saw them face to face, they would be able to have a good positive meeting. And once they submitted to the corrections that he had written of, he was sure that they would all have joy. It's the same way today. If every church meeting is a disciplinary matter, we'd starve to death for joy, wouldn't we? Amen? We'd starve to death for joy. But when we heed to corrections that need to be made, we could come together and worship and have joy because we're unhindered by any sin that might be in the camp. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 13. 2 Corinthians seven thirteen. It says, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed, we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Paul had went to Macedonia. And it was a rough situation in Macedonia. There was fear. And there was fighting. There was affliction. There was a lack of rest. He was exhausted. He was wore out. He had been put through the ringer, so to speak. Paul and others were downcast in the ministry. But then Titus shows up. And everything changed. Titus shows up and he begins to tell Paul of the zeal that the Corinthians had for him. And he begins to tell Paul how that they longed for him. And, and it encouraged Paul and it made him rejoice. So Paul is telling them, I know that my letter grieved you, but I don't regret it. I did for a while, but not now because I can see that you were grieved to the point of repentance. So we can see here that true genuine repentance brings joy. Titus was joyful to learn of true repentance. And when he shared it with Paul, Paul was joyful. In fact, Paul was joyful that Titus was joyful. Paul cared so much for Titus that Paul wanted Titus to be joyful. And all of this joy was the result of God... Working in the lives of the Corinthians to bring about some godly sorrow and some true repentance. When we see people turning from sin and following Christ in faith and obedience, and when we see that dramatic change in somebody's life, we too should experience joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 with it. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, we do you to wit, that just simply means we want you to know. We want you to know. That's what it's saying there. John Gill, in his commentary on that phrase, we, we do you to wit, this is what John Gill said. I want you to think about this. John Gill said 
that that is an old English phrase that's almost obsolete. You know what the problem is? John Gill died in 1771, 250 years ago. So sometimes you kind of have to do a double exposition. You have to explain what the King James is saying and then go on and exposit the text. So that's, that's what it's saying. It just simply means we want you to know. We want you to know about the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches, on the churches of Macedonia. And verse 2 says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So here Paul is proposing taking up a collection for the poor saints back in Jerusalem. And he's citing the Macedonian churches as an example. The thing that's being informed to the Corinthians here is the grace of God. That's what Paul's talking about. This is the grace of God. Paul wants them all to know about the grace of God to their sister churches. The churches of Macedonia, they were suffering great afflictions. They were enduring deep poverty themselves. Their coffers were empty. Their cupboards were bare. They were down to the last handful of meal in the bottom of the barrel. They were going through all of that themselves. And yet they still gave. They still gave. And their giving was freely. And their giving was with joy. Not only did they give freely and with joy, but they gave with an abundance of joy. It's one thing for the rich and the well-off and the prosperous to give out of what they have to meet the needs of somebody else. But when the poor and impoverished and lacking and destitute give to meet the needs of someone else, I find that very remarkable. Amen. Very remarkable. It's like the poor widow who cast in her two mites. Jesus said she gave more than the rich who went before her. They had given large sums. Why does it matter? It matters because God loves a cheerful giver. Why are these examples in the Bible, the poor widow and the Macedonian churches giving in abundance of joy despite their own poverty and affliction? Well, because God wants us to be motivated to be generous givers also. There's joy involved in giving. Amen? There's joy involved in generous giving, and it's a joy that comes from God because generous giving is an act of God's grace. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to put in a plug for my wife's Sunday school class. She's getting ready to teach on the fruit of the Spirit. And all of you folks with kids, Sunday school aged kids, you need to get them here so they can come and be a part of this teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. I believe it's going to be fantastic. So make note of that and get your kids here for Sunday school. Galatians chapter 5, I want to read... Not only verse 22, but I also want to read verse 23. What we've got here, these are just the verses that actually have the word joy in it. But sometimes it's necessary to read a little bit more than that. But verse number 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. A believer is to walk a life of faith that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. I like to say a, a life that's sweet and juicy because we like to 
think of a piece of fruit that's sweet and juicy. I don't know about you, but I do. I don't want an old dried up orange. I want something that's sweet and juicy. Well, our lives ought to be sweet and juicy with God's grace. But notice that this list is called the fruit of the Spirit because these are things that the Spirit produces. We don't produce this fruit on our own, but the Spirit produces this fruit within us. This is that spiritual harvest appropriate to the new divine life within the Christian. Uh, And I'm glad that we have a God who is in the business of producing top quality fruit. He is in the business of producing grade A top quality fruit which is abundant and eternal. The believer has done nothing whatsoever to deserve this kind of fruit. It comes as an act of God's mercy and grace. And I'm not going to cover all of these. But I do want to focus on joy. That's what we're focusing on. So I want to say this much. The word fruit here is a collective noun. It designates a crop or a harvest. It suggests the many-sided characters of a virtuous life. These include personal qualities. These include qualities that govern social relationships and principles of conduct. And I would also like to point out that these are called fruit and not works. This fruit cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, it cannot be secured by human effort. No matter how much we try to be good, no matter matter how much we try to do right, no matter how much we try to do good, we will fail to produce this fruit. Again, it's the Holy Spirit who produces this fruit inside of our lives. So we could see that that second item mentioned right after love is joy. This is that state of gladness that we've been talking about. It's joy. It's having this cheerfulness. It's being in a state of delight. If you have joy in your life, if you have that joy tonight, and I pray that you do, you have it because the Spirit of God produced that inside of your life. And if you don't have it, well, it's available in Jesus Christ. Amen? But you've got to look to Him and turn to Him in faith and repentance. So listen, friends, that trial that you're going through right now, God's Word teaches us that you don't have to be miserable in the midst of your trials. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to be full of gloom. You don't have to be full of fear. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be full of anxiety. You don't have to be discouraged. Aren't you glad about that? You can have joy even in in the midst of what seems like a really bad situation. Why? Because just as James said, God's using that trial to work patience in your life and you'll come out of that trial a better person, but not because of you, because you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is joy. Going to Philippians chapter 1. And like I said, we're only going to do half of these. I don't even know where we're going to end it at. But uh, we're only going to do about half of these. Philippians chapter 1. Let me read verses 3 through 7 in Philippians chapter 1. It says this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think 
this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye all are partakers of my grace. Okay, so the reference to joy is there in verse number 4 where Paul mentions that he prays for them with joy. He's simply letting them know of his great affection for them. But it also introduces a theme that runs throughout the entire letter to the Philippians. And that's the theme of joy. The theme that being a believer in Christ, as a believer in Christ, we should be joyful. If you really want to dig into joy, read all of Philippians. It's only four chapters. It's not going to take very long. But as you read it and ponder upon joy... You'll do well to keep in mind that to Paul, joy is not based on comfort. Amen? Joy is not based on comfort. Joy is not the result of having comfortable circumstances. But joy is about seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ advance despite whatever the circumstances may be. Paul is joyful when he remembers the Philippians in prayer because God is at work in their lives and the gospel is going forth. And if we say we're Christians, we should have joy at the advancement of the gospel. If we don't have joy at the advancement and the furtherance of the gospel, then I don't know if we truly understand what joy is. If that would ever be the case at this church, then my prayer would be that God would use services like this to make that proper change in our hearts and minds because the gospel going forth is certainly... Something to be joyful about. Uh, Verses 23 through 26 in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse number 23. Paul says here, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. We've got Paul on the horns of a dilemma right here. He has a desire to go be with Christ. He determines that that would be far better. If I could go and be with Christ, it would be far better. Amen. But yet he knows that the progress of their joy in the faith would be better served if he continued to remain and to work among them. Paul's life had a joyful character that not even imprisonment from false believers could put a damper on. Not even ill treatment from professing believers could dampen his joy. And it was all based on the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the gospel went forth, Paul was a joyful man, no matter what the circumstances were. We live in a day and time where it seems like the least little thing just steals our joy. If we go to the soda fountain and the carbonation's all messed up, we let that steal our joy. If we have to stop and put air in a tire, we'll we'll let that steal our joy. If we've got a leaky faucet, we'll let that steal our joy. We're looking to the wrong thing. True joy springs from faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the blood, the righteousness, and the atonement of Christ. And whatever of that joy can be furthered, it's often furthered by the 
ministry of the Word of God undertaken by men who are there to be helpers of our joy. Not to lord it over us, but to be helpers of our joy. And I think we're going to stop right there tonight. Uh, before Melissa comes, I just want to ask you all if you've got any takeaways from this tonight. If you've got anything you'd like to say, any comments. What did we take away from this? A lot put out there tonight. Anybody? Amen. 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 Praise God. He gives you that. He carries you. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. And I suppose one thing that I really took away from this is is just like kind of like what we said there toward the end is is just not to let those all those little things. Steal your joy. All of those things are just temporal. The joy for the believer, it's, a, it's an objective state. We ought to be able to have joy even through trials. So don't let the devil come along and steal your joy with some little nuisance. Some little distraction. How many of you know he'd love nothing more than to drag you down into a pit of despondency and he'll do that every time he can. He don't want you to have joy. But we can have joy. It's found in Jesus. Hands that heal nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. Thank you for listening to the Free Gift Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at www.freegiftgospelmission.wordpress.com. Our service times are as follows. Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. Morning worship is at 11 a.m. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we welcome all visitors. If you would like to correspond via email, you may email me, Pastor Vern Hall, at freegiftgospelmission at yahoo.com. Or you may write to Pastor Vern Hall, 3301 Martin Farm Road, Johnson City, Tennessee, 37601. We look forward to seeing you at the Free Gift Gospel Mission, where the gospel is preached and the Lord Jesus Christ is praised. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.